Hello, beautiful people. My name is Mitchell, and this is the Back to the Present podcast, where I sit down and discuss this roller coaster we call life with people of all different smells and smiles. On today's episode of the podcast, we have Jason Picard. Jason is a financial abundance advisor, retired partner at one of the world's top hedge funds, and sits on the board of Contemplative Sciences Centre at the University of Virginia. Hello, Jason. Hey, good to be here. Is that description still somewhat accurate? Yeah, it's accurate. It's accurate. (laughs) It sounds like my Instagram bio, so yeah, I've had to... You know, those, those bios, are, there's only so many characters you can really put in there, right? And so really getting down to what's the essence of who I am, it's a tricky one. I would yeah, probably put a, a, a lot more dreamlike things in there, but that's definitely like the professional resume. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a good little um, caveat to maybe just introducing yourself with a little bit more context and tell us who you are and... Uh, how you got where you are now and what you're doing with yourself. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, without going into the whole early childhood, which maybe we can at some point because I, I find early childhood dreams and early childhood memories really a fascinating, fascinating clues on, on how to find our life's purpose and really understand our core powers and even our core woundings. But essentially, you know, I was raised in, in the United States, in New Jersey mostly, and I had a very mainstream education. I went on to the University of Virginia and I wanted to be a world famous trader, a financial trader in the, you know, some, some kind of market. I didn't know what market I wanted to be in. I just knew I really enjoyed trading and I wanted to get into that. And so I put all of my focus on that at university and then got a, a job right out of college in that kind of field and was doing really well. And this progressed for about four or five years until I was about 26. I was now hired by Paul Tudor Jones, who's one of the most famous investors in the world, Um, probably one of the most famous investors of all time. I was becoming the youngest partner ever at this very, very famous hedge fund with a very long track record. And I was ranked one of the top 30 traders under 30 years old in the world at the time. But the crazy thing for me was that I was 330 pounds, which for those of you in Australia, I'm guessing it's at least 160 or 170 kg. Yeah, yeah, quite big. And so I was in a really precarious state of health. I was really, you know, on one hand, very successful, right? More successful than any of the friends I went to high school with, any of the people that I even went to college with. Even the people that were raising their hand and getting A's on the test, you know, and all that, I was blowing them all away on one hand. Mm. But on the other hand, you know, I was, I was obese. I was getting sick. I was on my way to a painful, very painful life. And I was emotionally and mentally uh, depressed, really. I did not have any meaningful relationships other than, you know, some friendships and family, but no kind of love interest in my life. And I was really kind of, you know, it was sort of living like 
a dream and a nightmare at the same time. And I, I said, there's got to be more than this. You know, what's the point of making all this money and doing all this if I'm just going to be stuck in doctor's offices for the rest of my life? Yeah. And so around that time, I met a Czech professional in New York City and I started exercising and I really took the same intensity that I had on Wall Street to the exercise. And over a two year period of very, very intense exercise, I lost half my body weight. Wow. And it, it was pretty phenomenal. It was a pretty phenomenal experience and I'm very proud of that. But interestingly, when I left and when I finished that two year experience of losing that weight, I still didn't feel that much different on the inside. Mm. Yeah. So now I had this other sort of paradox where I have this financial wealth. I had the body I always dreamed of, but I still didn't feel fulfilled. I didn't feel like I really had purpose in my life or I didn't really feel love. And that's around the time when I met Paul Check in 2009. And that really has begun my inner journey. So, you know, over the next 10 years, I started studying with masters like Paul yoga, shamanic studies, martial arts, creativity, psychology, spirituality, religion. And I started integrating all of these approaches into my Wall Street world. And for 10 years, I lived a very healthy, balanced, uh, successful, sustainable career, really, or life. Uh, in 2019, I decided that I really wanted to try something new. I wanted to move into this coaching world. I wanted to study um, psychology deeper and work with people and work with people on human performance and, you know, really becoming the best versions of themselves. And I really wanted to, to throw away that trader person. I was like, you know what, that was me in the past. That's what, you know, that's this, he's almost crazy. He really just cares about money. He's really intense. And I really want to just be like, you know, sitting under a tree and meditating and doing Tai Chi and helping people. And over the last couple of years, all roads let, led back for me that I couldn't really negate any part of myself yeah. that really my ability to be the best coach possible was integrating what I knew on creating wealth and what I have now learned in creating well-being and spirituality. And that's essentially bringing us to today where I've now created this course called the abundance archetype. And I successfully bring people into this program to experience what I define as true abundance, which is the maximum amount of wealth and well-being. And, you know, of course, other things like having reciprocity and spirituality at the same time, but really this really bringing back together mindful ways to create wealth without it being at the expense of our own health, our relationships or the planet at large. Yeah, beautiful. Um, I've heard a little of that story in one way or another from, from some of your other podcasts, um, listening to you now, the, what I I've heard before, but what I just sort of absorbed a little bit more was the, the fact that you were going through that, the, these phases, um, and, um, in particular when you lost all that weight, um, and then still realized that you were, um, depressed for lack of a better word emotionally and mentally um and it was interesting because i'm thinking what what you realize that at some point when you were heavily trading that you say you were overweight and then mm -hmm. the season began to lose that weight and then you lost the weight and then there was a 
pivotal moment there where you became aware of the fact that the losing the weight didn't uh, satisfy the need, the same need that you thought maybe that the, the money would have. Um, what, 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 like, what was that? What was that feeling? Can, can you describe that feeling or was it like a, or was it more of a series of events that led to um, a, a more of an aha moment? Yeah. So I just want to be clear. Are you talking about the feeling that I had when I was standing there in front of the mirror? Now I had the money and the body, but it just didn't feel right. Exactly. You know, yeah. it, it, it was really kind of fascinating because one of the, one of the things that I had that I benefited from, from that experience was realizing that there's no way I can be my body. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. my body has gone through ridiculous changes where I don't even recognize the person I'm looking at in the mirror yeah, right, on yeah. the, on the way up or the way down. Yeah. You know, we, we have like 50 billion cells, I believe dying each day. Our whole body is turning over and science keeps changing this number, but they used to say seven years. I think they now say four, but it's, you know, a couple of years from now, there will not be any one part of us that is still here. Yeah. What we had for breakfast today is becoming, yeah you know, the cells in our arm today. Yeah. And so we're constantly changing. And for me, that was the first glimpse that I had that what I really call myself, this I, the same I that was there when I was five and seven and 15 and 20 and now 42, that is different than the body that is constantly changing and, you know, it's, it's separate from that. And so that was really a big awareness for me. And that was one of the, the gifts of having gone through that experience and of having gone through such a major transformation, because I could really start to realize that there was something else cooking other than this physical body. Yeah, for sure. Great answer. Um, it's such a, I don't know what we want to call it, but like it's a, for me as well, it's, it's, it's such a realization and a trip out to fully um, start to understand that we are not our body and that there is, we are separate to that body. And it's, it's, it's obviously pretty complex and pretty deep and maybe we'll get there. Um, well, I just want to say something about on that. I, you know, I think that that's the first thing we should teach in elementary school. Yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> wow. I mean, you are not your body. You're not your body. Yeah, for sure. Okay. You know, and then also how about, this is how you take care. You're not your body, but this is how you take care of it. This yeah. is how you eat for this particular body type. You don't have the same body type as anybody else. You have yeah. to find out what works for you. This yeah. is how you move your body effectively. Yeah. This is how you, this is how you find happiness and creativity in your life. Yeah. This is how, this is how you make love. Yeah. This is how you dance. This is how you sing. Um, this is, you know, you are the soul. You're not the one having the experience and maybe, what, what would life be like if you held a multiple lifetime worldview instead of a single life worldview where, you know, you're just getting the, the, you know, flip a coin and we'll see what your life turns out. And no matter what happens, you might be getting eternal damnation when you only had one chance to figure it out and maybe 72 years if you're lucky. And yeah. then for the rest of your, for the rest of eternity, you're getting stuck with those decisions. It's like that, that, that brings a lot of anxiety. Yeah. And, you know, we, we have these incredible educational institutions, but where I think they fail us is they don't really teach us on what it really means to be human. Yeah. 
And that's what I'm trying to bring back because like I said, I didn't, I went through university, I went through Wall Street and it wasn't I, until I met Paul Check, who I think only has a ninth grade education that I learned some of the things that I never learned spending, you know, $30,000 uh, a year <laughs> yeah, at, sure. at a top university trying to, trying to learn. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's, it's such a, um, <clears throat> like a, it's not a, like a, in my way, it's like a, a fairy tale story, Paul's story. I don't know Paul, like you know Paul, but um, having studied his work and and listening to him and and reading his reading his work as well, been heavily involved. Like it's it's, it's just the ninth grade um, level of education, but then when you hear him and and listen to him speak or and whatnot, it's 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 the passion, the deep passion, that desire to be who he has ended up being is, is obviously pretty, pretty, um, ingrained. Um, what you know, I Paul, I'll yeah, just say yeah. this, you know, Paul, Paul's, first of all, each one of us in my belief are coming in with past life experiences. Yeah. So yeah. we're all, we're all coming in with a certain amount of knowledge and not all of us have had the same previous life experience. Yeah. There's something in Mozart that enables him to write a symphony that we still listen today at age five. Yeah, sure. There's something in Rudolf Steiner that turns it on that we're still reading now 120 years later. Yeah. And, and we all have that to some degree. And Paul's unique circumstances may have turned that on for him. But his education was really more what I would consider almost like a Waldorf education where uh, it's more experiential. Mm. He yeah. didn't have a ninth grade, you know, he only had a ninth grade education. But he had like 40 or 50 different jobs, you know, cutting down trees, working on cars, you know, competitive sports and like a whole list of stuff, electrician. Yeah. Um, he actually got his hands dirty and learned that way and then did a lot of studying along yeah, the sure. way. Yeah. No. So, you know, th there's a lot of ways that people can do that. But, you know, his, his is actually interesting. And it's like he he doesn't he didn't have an education, but he had quite a fantastic one at the same time. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for pointing that out. Um, the other thing I was thinking about, um, as we were just as you we were mentioning the body and 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 the how cool it would be to learn those certain learn those things at an elementary level was like we're as much as we're not our body, we're also not our thoughts and our emotions, and um, I mean that's my belief anyway. But and um, and the things that you were talking about that we could learn at that level i find some of them not all of them i do find some of them are almost it's like they're already known in a small child and then they start to be forgotten at around whatever age just because i'm using my two little daughters as examples it's like especially when they start to go to school and they're socializing with other people and they start yeah. to get this other information from all these other areas then there's little bits and pieces that we're talking about that you can, that I start to recognize that they start to, it's like they're almost forgetting it and they need to then remember it again in, in, in some ways that aren't being taught in schools. But, um, I mean, it would be invaluable to learn some of these lessons. Do you, why do you think, I mean, there's obviously a, a whole back story behind schooling and how it's come about through industrial ages and, and, and stuff like that. But why do you think, do you think there's a, do you think there's a reason why we have a lot of that dancing and singing and stuff ingrained at an early age? And then we, 
we sort of go through a process of forgetting it. And then as we get a bit older and we start to learn about ourselves and, and realize who we really are, it's like, then we start to re-remember it again. Yeah. I think the child is coming in and giving the full expression of, of the truth of what it means to be human. Yeah. You don't need to teach a child to laugh. No. They laugh on average three to 400 times a day. Research says, but adults sometimes laugh zero. Yeah. Sometimes we do a little chuckle, but we don't, we barely do a belly laugh, right? Sure. You know, children are laughing all day long. Children have a natural curiosity. Mm. They have a natural sense of reverence for their environment, a sense of awe. They, I don't know about your kids, but my kids are constantly asking questions. Always. Yeah. Almost to the point where like it can, it can, it could, uh, irritate you almost right as, as an adult, like, like, come on, you know, the answer to that. But the reality is like, that's one of the most amazing skills of being human is asking questions, right? Paul check says any belief system worth living is worth questioning. Yeah. Imagine that. Imagine like being so rigid that you don't even want to question your own beliefs. You just go through your whole life saying, I'm going to be a Democrat or I'm going to be a Republican no matter what, yeah. without questioning. How sad. Yeah, for sure. And so like this concept of questioning, this concept of play, natural creativity, this childlike mind, that's actually the mindset of geniuses. Yeah, true. Absolute geniuses. And there's like some quote, which I may get wrong, but it says each child is, is born perfect. And the job of the parent is not to screw it up too much. <laughs> you know, so we send we send them into these educational systems that, like you said, are, are basically made off of an industrial age where we're teaching them what to think instead of how to think. We're teaching them basically just to follow orders and be, um, you know, like manufacturer workers where it's it's not incentivized to be creative or to think outside the box. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that that's really, really a crime. But. You know, I think, yeah, the more that we can just encourage this childlike nature in our children and in ourselves as adults, the happier and healthier we'll be. When you go to see a shaman with a health issue, the first thing they ask you is, when did you stop singing? When did you stop dancing? When did you stop listening to stories? And when did you stop enjoying silence or enjoying ceremonies? Yeah. These are the kinds of things that we naturally do when we're a kid. We love to dance. We love to play by ourselves. We love to hear stories. We love to sing. And at some point in the line of our life, somebody comes along and says, Mitchell, don't sing. You, you have a bad voice. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't play. You know, you have to, it's time to grow up. Yeah. You know, yeah. don't paint. You're never going to make money as an artist. Yeah. Oh, only children listen to stories. Yeah. You too, I'm too busy to sit in ceremony or silence. You, know, you have to work. You have to be productive and successful. Yeah. And each, each one of those times that we forget to do one of those, one, a little bit part of us is dying and is frozen. And that leads to little you know, bad dreams at night, which if not taken care of, then lead to little anxieties and pains, and then ultimately sicknesses, disease, and death. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's a wild, it's a wild one, hey, because it's it's like like we're saying the the things that we're talking about, um, it's not it's not like there's no there's no technical side to it. You know what I mean? They're just ways of they're just ways of being. But the um, the the downside, or you know, to forgetting those 
those those types of things is 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 detrimental to us at a later date in life so i mean i'm very fortunate to have come across that this knowledge that we're talking about um while my girls are still young so that i can always remember what we're talking about in the instances of them dancing and singing and asking questions you know like like you said like sometimes the question upon question it, it can get a little bit much you know what i mean especially if you're trying to do some work or you're trying to yeah. cook or, or whatever but like yeah just having that just remembering that simple fact like if if, if i were to shut that down or, or say something that 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 has a huge huge ramification on their life and their creative thinking and, and their ability to be themselves and express themselves. And, and um, so, yeah, in, invaluable, really, in my opinion. I, I think so. You know, when I was working for Paul Tudor Jones, he had this quote that he would say where he said he would wake up every single day and out of the gate assume that every position he had in his portfolio was wrong. Wow. He would question, he would question everything. Look at every side of it. And only when he was convinced that he wasn't wrong because he proved to himself by looking at every single facet, trying to play devil's advocate and mm. take himself out of it. Only yeah. when he couldn't do that did he know he was right. Yeah. You know, I call this questioning as a meta skill. It's, it's a skill of life. Yeah. In Buddhism, they call this um, the great, great doubt versus skeptical doubt a skeptic is somebody who just doesn't believe anything right but the great doubt is one who his their life is about looking up at the stars you know asking existential questions why am i here where did i come from how do i live my life well what's yeah. my purpose yeah and so forth yeah i think there's nothing more important than that personally the, the questioning yeah. the quest the quest is the question it's yeah. all about the quest. That's why we're here. Yeah, that's great. The quest is in the questioning for sure. Yeah, I love that, man. I love that. I love that curiosity. I, I mean, I, I, um, I take, um, yeah, I, I've always been like, and am a really curious person, and I'm and I'm super glad that I am because it's taking me down some sh strange paths and some windy roads to be where I am now. But the the curiosity and the questioning like of, of others, but of, of myself as well, has always stuck with me. Um, like I, I feel like sometimes with people, um, people I've known for a long time or even not, sometimes it, it feels like I'm, I am almost arguing to a certain extent. And, and it probably comes from the degree and where that question is mm -hmm. coming from. But in my head, it, I do the same thing to myself. Like the, the question is, is, is constant. Like, like you said, and I've not heard that the great doubt before. As, as yeah. A... And let me just tell you about the word argument. I think it's kind of interesting because I think this will be really in, kind of in line with what you're saying you're doing. The word argument comes from argentum. Okay. Okay. Argentum, which is silver. And so an, uh, the point of an argument is to polish the silver or to polish off the tar to get down to the truth yeah right like it's not to say i'm better than you yeah or to make somebody look bad yeah. it's like two people that could only find the way forward or the third the transcendent function yeah the synthesis of two ideas yeah by polishing the silver 
through an argument to get down to something greater that only one of them couldn't have had alone. Yeah. Awesome. Um, So when, so using that as the example, uh, why why do you think, I mean, my, uh, the question I was going to ask was like, where does the arguing, like we've got a preconception idea, preconceived idea of this argument. However, if we're looking at it from the perspective that you just mentioned about polishing the silver, um, that's important. Though I also do think that for whatever reason, um, the arguing can get violent, for lack of a better word, um, or, or you know, um, negative. Do you think that that's? Do you think that there becomes a point in that in particular conversations where people close their hearts and their minds and get a bit reactive with emotions and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. So in, in, in Dr. Arnold Mendel's model with process work psychology or process oriented psychology, depending on yep. what you want to call it, but that's, that's something that I study very deeply. And he really has um, a four phase model of conflict, but I think the first three are, are, are sort of a little bit easier to talk about. And what happens is people typically, typically, typically get stuck in only one of those phases. And the key is to be fluid. So the first one is, is to have times when you're not in conflict right? Just yep. everything's cool. We're relaxing. Yeah. And many people have a problem with that one, right? I mean, have you ever known people or been in a relationship where it's just constant fighting and there's never like, Hey, let's just watch a movie tonight. Let's just yep. chill. Let's just go for a walk. Everything's good. Right. Yep. You know, any kind of relationship, business relationships, intimate relationships or anything need that phase one when you're just chilling out. Yep. And or looking for a new opportunity even right in, in something yep. then face. So in phase two, we really have to stand up for what we believe in. Okay. Right. You come in to the argument and you really fully stand for it. This is why, you know, this is what I believe in. This is why it's important. This is where a lot of social activism is yep. in phase two, <clears throat> you know, fighting for different um <laughs> rights or views or, or whatever, you know, all around the world. And in fact, phase two can be challenging for a lot of people if they've been marginalized in their life. A lot of people don't feel comfortable. You know, imagine um, a black man or woman in, in America or really anywhere, but then coming out and, and, and uh, standing for themselves, they get labeled as like the angry black person stereotypical type of thing, right? So a lot of people in history, marginalized groups around the world, never had a time to really stand for themselves because um, they've had religious persecution or racial persecution or, or gender persecution or anything. So that can be a tough one, but you have to really stand for what you believe in. But here's the problem. Most people don't go to the next phase, which is you have to take the other side. Mm, yeah. You have to look at it from their perspective, okay? Yeah. What... And, and you can say, if you can look at it from a few ways. One is, in what ways am I also like them? Mm. Okay. Let's just say, let's just say I, I, I hate Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm like, Trump, he's this, he's that. I'm really standing up for it. Then I have to go to phase three. Yep. Where am I a little bit Trump-like? Yeah. Where do I speak my mind without caring what other people think. Where am I a little bit patriarchal? Where am I a little bit this? Where am I a little bit that? And then the really hard one for somebody is saying, 
where actually does this thing that's really disturbing me, where do I need a little bit more of that in my life? Mm, interesting. Maybe, maybe not in the same way they're using it. Yeah. Maybe with a different set of skills or a little bit more tact, but yep. may, like the, the essence of their energy. Maybe it's their directness. Maybe it's their intensity. Maybe it's their passion. Maybe it's their ability to speak their mind, right? Yep. And so I, th I think that a lot of times we get stuck in phase two and we don't go to phase three where we look at how are, how are we like the other? Yep. And then what we have to do is we want to become fluid where we can go back and forth with our, our viewpoint and their viewpoint, our viewpoint and their viewpoint, and realize that we, we have to work together to find this new way forward, this new kind of synthesis of the two sides. But many people get stuck in phase two. And if you go back to ancient India, ancient India would take these gurus together and they'd have what, I, what I've been told as these 18-day arguments. Oh, yeah. Literally 18-day arguments. Like we watched the Olympics. They would go out like thousands and thousands of people would yeah. watch two gurus <clears throat> talk about like, what does it mean? You know, what's the, you know, uh, non-dual versus dual or something like that. And then the, the whole point was it not to win. Yeah. It's about finding the truth. And at the end of the, the 18 days, or when somebody would win, the other guru would say, okay, now, now you're my teacher because you have found a better way. Yeah. And it's all about finding that. That's the point, yeah. is that if we, go, if we go into an argument where we're becoming defensive about holding on to our belief system as the right way, no matter what, and we're not open to actually experiencing the truth of what may come forward, that we can be rubbing this, polishing the silver with another person and learn more about a better way forward for ourselves. Yep. If we're coming in and we're just stuck in phase two, standing up for our side and not willing to be fluid, we're never really going to move forward. Yeah. Thanks, man. That was a, an amazing explanation. Uh, and, and, I'm thinking the, the other thing that, that I found with putting yourself in the other person's sh shoes is that, um, I mean, other than it contributing to this um, polishing of the silver, it also, um, for me anyway, it, it also allows for myself to have such a wider perspective on my own issues, which is, I think, is what you're saying, you know, because if... If I'm if I'm polishing silver with someone and and I'm unable to see why this person is feeling that way or saying that thing, then that is what it is. But when the point of being able to recognize this this feeling and this thought in somebody else and then recognizing where it is in myself, and then I think, oh, you know what? I do that, the thing that they're talking about that I think that I don't do, or I, I need to do more of the thing that, like you said before, that yeah. I'm resisting and have been unconscious to. And then it's like, oh, well, wow, hold on a second. There's, there's all this other, there's, this, there's another, another way of thinking that I've been um, naive to in the past. And it's yeah. super powerful. Totally. Yeah. And, it, you know, this can be difficult for people because like, yeah. you know, like if you want to, if you want to go after like some really polarizing charged people, um, it could be difficult yeah. to find, find things. But even, even if you could just say, well, how am I at least a drop? Yeah. A 1% in yeah. some small way. Can I find something yeah. in some small way that I need, I, I need, um, you know, even if it's like, you have a, you know, people get really challenged with, 
you know, hate groups and stuff, which are, you know, for rightfully so they're, they're, they're pretty bad. Right. But you know, like where, if I'm looking at that and they're, they're really marginalizing or stepping over somebody else's beliefs, where have I done that to myself? Yeah, sure. Yep. Where, you know, and I'm, I'm certainly confined a lot of ways where I've marginalized, you know, my own feelings or my own heart or, or my own dreams or my own body. Um, and, and so forth. So there's always a way to find something. And when you do that, it relaxes the tension quite a bit and helps you find a new solution. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's, let's, let's talk about the abundance archetype, if we can, please, Jason. Um, yeah. So I know this is, I know a little bit about of what you're offering at the moment. It's, it's, it's very fascinating to me. Um, I, I'm, but now I'm thinking maybe we start with a bit of a definition as to the word abundance um, mm-hmm. and what it means for you and the the archetype of that abundance, please. Yeah, that's great. That's that's where I started this course. You know, it's like, okay, I want to show people what abundance is. And I had to ask myself, what is that? <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know, what does that even mean to me? Because... You know, one of the most important things I think people can do is actually think about the meanings of these words. Yes. We use, for example, we, we use the word, we use the word spiritual. But do we, have we really thought about what that actually means? What does it mean to be spiritual? Mm-hmm. Or are we just throwing it out there? Yeah. Uh, or we say we're religious or we say we use the word God. But do we actually know what that means to us? Or are we just kind of like throwing words out there without really understanding? And so one of the best ways to do this is to use an etymological dictionary where you see the roots of words and you see where words like God and spirituality, where they they actually come from and what are sort of like the hidden messages or the hidden meanings of these words and how they've been distorted over time. So, you know, a lot of us, if we think about abundance, we really just think about financial prosperity. But there's so many people out there that have a lot of money that don't have a smile on their face, that don't have health, that don't have love, um, and they don't feel fulfilled. And so clearly that's not it, right? And so I went on this search of abundance, and you you may have heard me talk about this a little bit, but just for the, the listeners, I'll just repeat this, is that the root word of abundance comes from the personified laws of nature. It comes from the word unda, U-N-D-A, down under for all of you in Australia. And so, you know, the reality is just like the personified intelligence in water is under us. It's down under us. Yeah. So this abundance, we're searching mostly for this abundance outside of us, yeah. but it's literally the intelligence inside of our own body. Yeah. And so for me, I started realizing, okay, it's in the water. So abundance comes when I can flow. I can be in flow states. I can be fluid. And that fluidity brings me affluence, right? And so that took me into studies of yoga where the the whole concept is that the peak of yogic perfection and the peak really of Buddhism and Taoism and many of the Eastern religions is that despite pleasure or pain, you're here in the middle. Mm, yeah. You're you're what they call shanti or equilibrium, equanimity, equipoise. No, that no matter what happens to you in your life, you have balance. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately we can't control all of the the circumstances in our life. 
right? There's a lot of stuff going on right now in the world of governmental controls. You know, we've experienced multiple years of various intensities of lockdowns, depending on where we're in the world. Um, it's not so foreign to us that there could be stressful situations that we are outside of our control, whether or not it's viruses or or lockdowns or governmental measures or taxes or, or whatever, or the power going out or, you know, food going out or all these different kind of extreme but more realistic events that are now more in the foreground. And the point for me is that there's a lot of things that are outside our control. Yeah. But when we are self-reliant, when we are fully individuated, when we know what we stand for, what's important to us, what we're willing to live and what we're willing to die for, we know who we truly are as an eternal being in this physical body and so forth, that no matter what happens to us in our life, we actually, it, we don't let it affect our mood, our yeah. attitude to life. And no matter what, we still say yes to life and yes to our values. Yeah no matter what life throws at us. And we wake up each day and we harmonize to that frequency. And no matter what comes in our day, we go back and back again and say, no, this is my attitude. This is my mood. This is how I'm going to approach life. When you can sustain that day in and day out, then you've reached this pinnacle of abundance. Because then no matter what happens to you, you lose your job, you're there. Somebody dies, you're there. You know, And, and, and I believe that that actually, that state, of that level of frequency of being in that balance puts you in the flow, which makes you actually able to perform at your best while also feeling at your best and makes you uh, have the potential to be more wealthy and successful professionally and personally. Awesome. Yeah. I can't help but think, you know, when, when we do feel abundant within ourselves, then the abundance becomes clear outside. So it's like, once I feel abundant within myself, the things that I've already had on the outside are just what reaffirms my abundance that I already knew that I had. It's like, I don't really need to go out and get more things to feel more abundant out there. I mean, that's, that's a process within itself, but I feel like I can have the same amount of things or, 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 um, even to, to the extent of love and, and whatnot around me, but it's when I truly feel abundant within myself, which is, I think, what you're talking about, right? Then I actually truly recognize the abundance in everything all around me at any given point. It's, it's all there no matter what, <laughs> you know? The, the potential is, the potential is, well, it's, it's inf infinite, of course. So um, the the abundance uh course that you're teaching now I, I i don't expect us to get into the nitty-gritty because i can imagine <laughs> there's a lot to it um but you know for the listeners and even for myself um could you explain sort of at a higher level and we can touch on any topics that we feel need to but at a more of a higher level what that what that sort of looks like, like what, 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 what the process maybe is what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah. Yeah. The, and, the, and the process is a great actual segue because that's the most important thing if, of my course, I'd say is finding your unique process to life and your work. Mm -hmm. That's the most important thing. You know, the process is your way yeah. or your, your highway. Yeah. Right. Frank Sinatra says, I did it my way. 
like doing it your way is so important, mm, right? Yeah. I mean, whether or not it's in business or in, in health, the reality is, is that there's no one on the history of this planet, no one in the history of this universe that is just like you. Yeah. Nobody. There will never be another Mitchell just like you. No one will ever have your fingerprints again. No one will ever have your set of parents, your experiences, the makeup of the elements in your body. You are a unique individual. Yeah. And in my opinion, the more that you can find your process to bring out all of your uniqueness and live that to the fullest, knowing that the universe made you as a novelty, mm with very specific qualities that nobody else has. And the more you can bring those out, the more successful you'll become because you'll have something that nobody else has. Yeah, yeah. And the more that you're trying to be like everybody else, well, the more you're just another normal, mm -hmm. another, another number. Yeah. So that's like first and foremost is the power of individuation. Yep. And so when we do that, we look at a process of, you know, how to, how to develop a process for success in your business, whatever it is. And I take you through all the different steps that I learned in my 20 year career on wall street. And the interesting part about that is I learned that the same exact principles that I found were essential for developing a process around your business were also the same principles around mastering yourself. If you make yourself the business or the investment. Yeah, true. Right. I mean, most of us don't look at what well, we might look at the risk reward of a particular investment opportunity. Okay. If I'm going to invest $500 in something, am I going to get a thousand back or 1500 back? What are the chances I'm going to risk it? But we don't look at these things with our own life. What's mm -hmm. the risk reward of going to bed on time versus going to bed late? What's yep. the risk reward of eating commercial food versus organic food? Yep. You know, what's the risk reward of doing anything really? How are we diversifying? What's our competitive edge? What makes us uniquely great at our job? And what, what are the uniqueness about the way we need to eat and move our body and go to bed and play? What kind of relationships do we want? How do we learn best? And this goes on and on and on through a whole series of steps, including the last one, which is where you learn how to detach from the process and realize that all you can do is follow your process and you have to be sort of like the house of the casino. I don't know if you've ever been to the casino, but the whole idea is establishing this edge and then detaching from it. So if you go to play roulette um, here in the United States, there's 18 black and 18 red numbers. Yeah. And you go and you roll the, roll the dice kind of thing and it spins around. And you think you have a 50-50 chance of getting black or red, but the house, the casino owns zero and double zero, yeah. which is the two green. Yeah. That gives them approximately a 5% edge every time you play gotcha. so on any one roll they don't know if they're going to win right you could walk up you can roll something and you could get a black or red in any one roll there's an equal distribution on every single roll but they know that if they play long enough over and over and over again if they give you free free drinks and put beautiful people around you and make it cold and take out the windows and yeah. give you free tickets to things yeah. that you'll keep playing and playing and playing and playing and ultimately they're going to grind out their five percent um yeah because they know their edge. Yep. And that's actually the, the same process to being successful in any business, any investment field, and even in yourself, yeah. knowing what brings you stable, repeatable returns that you can measure and observe and update 
and then detach from that trusting that if you just do it over and over again, it'll work out for you. And so that's the whole process section of the course. And then identified from all of my years of working with um, masters like Paul Check and gurus and all sorts of shamans and psychologists and religious professionals and all sorts of fields, I really kind of reduced it down to my eight steps to mastery, which is, okay, now that you have this process, here are the eight steps you need. And they're very extensive in terms of lots of exercises and resources and meditations and visualizations in my course. Um, But these are the eight steps that I've developed that are essential to uh, achieving flow states. And and flow states are these times when we're, we're, you know, when we're in the flow, right? We say like in sports, people get in the flow, like time slows down, the richness comes in, there's this, this selflessness that they, they say, and, and um, effortlessness. And we get this, like, that's the thing. That's what children are in. Children are naturally in these flow states where they're just, you know, your, your show is called Back to the Present, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's about when you're in that moment, you're yep. totally in the flow. You're not thinking about anything else. You're completely immersed. Yep. And so my, my steps of my course are basically designed to take you to that moment so you could perform at your best and you can feel at your best at the same time. That's the very, very high level. Yeah, no, that, that, that's fine. That's, I was really looking forward to looking f- for so that we can touch on a few different things. Um, and again, without getting into it in too much depth, is there certain areas of that process that you find people struggle with the most? Or, or is it pretty individual? You know, is there some, is there common held beliefs or some patterns or something that you recognize um, that you've started to recognize in clients that, that maybe, um, you know, just having that awareness can, can help others? Yeah, I, that's a really, really good question, actually. And, you know, I'm, I've, I have a whole bunch of students right now that I'm taking through this course. And this is the first round of doing this. And it's, it's quite fascinating and exciting for me to, to witness all these transformations and get all this feedback. Yeah. And so I don't have a, like a million data points on this yet, but I would say that actually people get stuck in the first one in terms of the biggest hurdle, which is working with their, their belief systems. Yeah, sure. Working yeah. with their, un, their unconscious mind about having these belief systems that were drilled into them. Like we said, from, from childhood where, they believe that, you know, if they, for example, if they're, if they're going to make money, they have to do it um, at the expense of their own happiness, yeah. or they have, to, they have to do something that they don't love to do, yeah. or that they're never the kind of person who, who money comes easily to, or, uh, you know, you hear people and they're languaging, you know, I, I've, I've had this scarcity mindset my whole life, right, and, and things like that. So I really think getting people like getting that momentum started where we can work on their belief systems, yep. find this deeper dream that they yep. want to bring forward and then latch onto it. And once they find that, that is just the momentum that carries them all the way through and you start to see them blossoming. But there's so much resistance. We built up all of these beliefs about who we're not. Yeah. And opening people's minds and letting them step into who they can become. Yeah. That is, is the most transformational moment, but it's also one of the more challenging ones because yeah. they have all of this life experience reinforcing 
these limiting, disempowering beliefs. So it takes some momentum to get that cart going, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I'm laughing because it's funny. I'm, I'm laughing because another mentor of mine, actually I've heard Paul say this in some way at all, but another mentor of mine um, suggests to look at your belief systems at least every six months and, you know, and ask and do what you're saying that you do and ask yourself like, is there any, are they really true? And, and what I find, what I find hilarious is like every time I sit down and do this and I, and I, I do it to a certain extent, um, questioning certain belief patterns of my own regularly, like, you know, but, but when you sit down and, and write them out or, 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 um, yeah, express them and you start to dive into them a little bit more, it's so strange how like very rarely do any of them, most of them don't no longer serve the purpose that they once did for whatever reason. And and, you, and as you break it down, you start to realize that like, it's, it's so strange how you hold such a strongly held belief when in actual fact, when you start to look at it and dissect it a little bit more, it, it actually, it's not, it's, it's so unreal and it doesn't hold that value or that weight that it did for whatever reason. Um, but well, that's an interesting point you're bringing up because the other, the other thing that I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking about myself is, yeah. and I totally, I totally agree with you, what you're saying, but what, yeah. I, what I'm thinking in this moment is what do you replace the belief with that? Well, this is the thing, right? Because when, <laughs> when I, when I do it and I replace it with another belief in six months time or whatever, let's just say six yeah. months, I'm then revisiting that belief that I dissected into another belief and I'm doing it again. <laughs> I know. And, and, and it's interesting. What, what, what is it? Like, we've got to have beliefs. If we don't have, well, so we don't have to have beliefs, but their beliefs, even like what you're saying, and so I'd, I'd like you to touch on it a little bit. Like, even when we dissect a belief, say, for, for my own instance, I'm thinking it's more when I recognize a belief, I have an awareness of it, I dissect it and realize that it, it in its form at that moment does not serve me that way. And so I... I, I released it. Generally, I tried to just let it go. And then, yes, I am um, reconstructing that belief in a different way to then do it again at, an, at, at a later date. But, like, what, what we have to have beliefs, yeah. What, so what, what is it? Is, is it purely does it just come down to the ones that service and the ones that don't? Yeah, it's a really good question. You know, we develop so many beliefs, mostly when we're kids. You know, I think the reality is, is like, if we're thinking about the big beliefs, it's like when we're five, six, seven, two, ten, we're sponges. We come in completely open in this completely open place and everything that we not so much hear, but witness mm. our parents do. Yeah. You know, for all you parents out there, it's not as much as what you say as what you do. Yeah, for sure. Because the kids are like sponges. They're watching every moment. They can feel you. They, they're watching you. You know, they're, they're, they're incredible, right? I mean, no, no detail gets unnoticed. Yeah. And even if it's not conscious, it's certainly unconscious. And so we get these belief systems. And the interesting thing is like, they're almost like these, these dormant softwares. Yeah. And, um, you know, we have these ones that are in our life and then all of a sudden we get to a different stage in our life. Like we have a, now we're old enough and we have a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend 
And now there's new beliefs around relationships. And then all of a sudden we get engaged and this new thing comes online. And then all of a sudden we have, we get married and now there's all this marriage belief. And then all of a sudden we become, uh, we have children and all of a sudden we become old. And there's like all these beliefs, like this one time when you were a kid, your mom said, yeah, getting old is, is tough. You're always in pain. Mm. And all of a sudden you recognize that like you're believing this, like, yeah, you know, getting old, like kind of thing. Right. And it's like, I, I, I don't know. I don't think there's an end to it. I yeah. think it's, it's, it's being open each single day to ask myself, what is the greatest version of myself today? Yeah. You know, what do I want to believe in today? Yeah. Um, being open and being curious and not being rigid and just constantly working on these beliefs has been, been my approach yeah. and recognizing that most of them aren't mine. That, that is the funny thing about it that's really helped me is like these things I believe, if you really start dissecting them, where did they come from? Yeah. Most of them never came from you. Yeah. They were things your parents or your teachers or your coaches or your mentors or religious figure or you heard on TV or you read in a book. Mm. Most of them aren't genuinely your own. They're yeah. things that have been programmed into you. And a lot of them are even ancestral. And a lot of them, you know, we carry the times of famine. We carry the times of religious persecution. We carry all of these things that our ancestors, ancestors went through in our own cells and yeah. in our body. And for me, um, one of the things that's really helped me is not taking it personally. They're not mine. Most of them are been given to me. And I, I, I want to wake up each day and ask myself, like, is this something I want to carry forward? Yeah. Because if I, if I do carry it forward, I'm giving this to my kids. And yeah. if they don't have the awareness to work on this, they're giving it to their kids. And this could be 50 generations down the road before someone breaks that trend. Yeah. So I think it's absolutely essential. I think it's very helpful to depersonalize them that they're not ours. They're just things that we learned. I yeah. think I, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, some things there's been a lot of techniques that have been really helpful for me, but I think a general openness to questioning your beliefs and making sure that it works with you and that you're resonant with that today. Yeah. You know, some simple things like Paul asked the question, um, if everyone on the planet believed or did this action, would it make the world a better place? Yeah, that's pretty simple. It is thing thing to ask. If everyone threw a cigarette butt out the window, would the world be a better place? <laughs> okay, no. Well, because we'd all catch on fire and it would be polluted with you know carcinogens. So, okay, maybe a, that's a belief system not worth having that I should be throwing my butt out the window and so forth, right? So, you know, I think it, it, it requires a lot of courage. Yeah, and courage courage comes from the root word core and core yeah. is, is coming from your heart. Like really, really asking yourself, what do I really stand for? What do I really want to believe? And how is it working for me? Is it really true? You know, is this in accordance with the laws of nature? Is this in accordance with love? Is this yeah. supporting the most amount of people and being brave enough to, to hear the answer? And ultimately when you become fluid enough that you're not rigid, because like I said, the, that abundance comes from that fluidity and not getting stuck down into anything, into a role, into an identity, into yeah. a belief system, into an investment. 
Yeah. That that's ultimate abundance. It's it's really kind of flowing with the tides for sure. Yeah, and and recognizing where maybe recognizing where we're attached to certain things. Um and I'm glad you said something about codes there because because I'm thinking yeah, when when we do revisit these belief systems um, and we recognize the ones that don't serve us and um, you know, what resonates with us at this point in time and whatnot that there, for me anyway, it off, it, it, it becomes a point you got to take a lot of like responsibility because you start to realize that, yeah, even though these, these belief systems are learnt and whatnot, and they're not necessarily us per se, I find a, a lot of times the, you recognize that you have been behaving in a certain way on the back of these belief systems and that particular way doesn't always necessarily feel like it's been um the right way and so it's like okay you come up with this belief system then you recognize oh hold on a second that's not me but this has also been making me not making me but i've i've been choosing to react and and act this way so now i need to take courage like you said but also have the responsibility to realize that um it's like our own part to do something about it, not somebody else's part. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you something funny. Um, yeah. You just helped me remember. I was interested in the word belief yeah. because anytime I like, and I encourage people to do this. Yeah. Anytime you hear a word like that, where we're kind of, I, I don't want, you know, argument in the best form of argument, right? We're trying to polish the silver around what beliefs really are. Yeah. I encourage you to look at the etymological dictionary and really see where this word comes from and it's it's i i don't know maybe i'm just a nerd with that but i just find it so much fun to be like a word detective and interestingly when you look up the word belief it takes you to the word it's from the root word leave l-e-a-v-e -E, yep. like to leave to leave yeah 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 so leave is what leave is a leave of absence it's a furlough it's a permission to be absent mm. And so how are our beliefs taking us away from life? Yeah. Giving us a permission to be absent from the truth or the moment, right? And so, you know, I think that's, that's, that's kind of the little word magic that I'm finding from belief is how they're really taking us away often from the present moment and just being open to the experience instead of believing something has to happen the way we have rigid, you know, dogmatically almost yeah. put that concept in our head instead of being like that child that's just seeing something for the first time yeah. and not believing that anything is not possible or possible. The children that can bend spoons with their mind well, why can they do that? Because they don't believe that you can't do that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's great. Uh, I, I, too, enjoy a good word um, description. <laughs> you've, given some, you've given some great ones, some, some deeper ones. What, what did you say the dictionary was? The animological? The, so most of the times we look in a dictionary, we're looking at um, like a meaning-based or a usage-based dictionary, like a traditional dictionary. It says, how is this word used today? Yep. Right? Um, but when you look at an etymological dictionary, yep. it tries to trace back the word from its root word origin. 
where did where did it come from yep and what was its original meaning and then you can see sort of this train of progression of where words come from and what and and what they ultimately mean especially in the vibration of their being spoken but they can often lead to really great clues on the hidden messages in the words and you can see how they've been distorted over time mm. nice thank you um, now it's not i'll just say it's not a perfect science because here's the problem let's just say you let's just say you you look at the word belief yeah and it goes back to some let's just say some very specific African root word of a tribe somewhere. Yeah. Right. Well, you have to have somebody who speaks that language well enough and also English to even try to put that word in a definition in English. And many, and I'm sure we've had this experience for anyone who speaks another language. There are many words in other languages that you can't, actually find a word in English that yeah. matches, right? Try to say croissant. What is a croissant in English, right? What is voila? You know, I mean, around the world, they have these very expressive languages that we don't actually have uh, corollaries for in English, right? So it, it is a little bit tricky. It's sort of a, a non-perfect science, but it gives you a hell of a lot of information. And it could be very interesting to see how these words go back to Greek or Latin or ultimately um sanskrit and other languages around the world yeah um i mean there's there's almost an art to it in in a certain sense and uh i mean of the descriptions that you've given on some of the examples of the words that we've used today like it they it makes they make perfect sense to me when you've explained them the way you've explained them so maybe they don't feel the same to other people but uh, you know yeah for, for that part of it anyway the the words certainly mean something um with your you know prior life experience um I, i've heard you talk about this in, to a certain extent but mm -hmm. I, I believe like especially with the arnold mindell um education and stuff like that i, I believe having an awareness and a relationship for lack of better words, with our unconscious is really important. Um, and I know it's, it's one of those ones where I find anyway, um, quite difficult to explain with words. Um, but with your prior experience, um, has there been a, how's that developed for you over the years on your path? Um, and what does your relationship look like? with your unconscious at this point? Yeah, it's a really good question. So, you know, interestingly, what I've been studying recently, which I'm not an expert at, is all of the influences of the things that we're not aware of that are around us, the intelligence of nature. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're so blind to the fact that there are planets that are orbiting us, that the moon is 108 times the size of its diameter away from us, and the sun is 108 times the size of its diameter away from us, and that at certain times of the year, these are aligned in a particular way where they're exactly the same size from our perspective and block out the sun, which we call eclipses. 
yeah. that were moving through space at you know 67,000 miles an hour with the moon orbiting us and us orbiting the sun and all these different planets that are around us are all affecting us in, in particular ways. And so we call these things unconscious because we're not aware of them. But the more and more that we get in touch with the purposefulness and the intelligence of nature, yeah. the more that we can actually bring the unconscious to the conscious. Yeah. And one of the best ways to do this is to explore that through the process of dreaming. So when we go to sleep at night, we are literally dreaming up the parts of ourselves that we're unconscious to. Our dreams are this incredible um, intelligence that we have that are showing us specifically for us through symbols that we can understand in very subtle ways. What we're missing, what are the shadow aspects of our life and what areas we can grow into to become more whole. Mm -hmm. And so like working with your dreams is the most unbelievable way to be tapped into the things that are unconscious to you or that you're not aware of. Yeah. your greatest potential and some of your downsides or weaknesses, let's say, or shadow aspects, things you're not aware of. Yeah. But that actually doesn't have to stop when you go to sleep at night. Hmm. You can actually dream during the day. For example, when you're in a conflict with somebody and you're looking at that person as how am I like them? That's an active form of dreaming and working with the unconscious because there's somebody in your life that is really disturbing you or that you're in a challenge with, what that is showing is that there's some part of you that's projecting into that person that is now coming back at you and causing this conflict. And asking yourself, where am I a little bit like them, is a way to tap into your unconscious. Body symptoms are a great way to work with that. Body symptoms are little, really teachers. The Paul Check would call them the pain teacher, but little processes of things that we're not aware of. You know, you, you're running, you're running, you're running, you're running, you're running, and then you get a cold. It's like, where did I need to slow down? Where did I need to slow down that I wasn't listening to? Yeah. And so forth, right? All of these things. You know, when I, I talk about even when I was investing, if I feel myself bloated, maybe, I, you know, just feeling bloated or something, you can ask yourself, where's my portfolio bloated? Mm. Where am I overweight? Where am I underweight? Where am I bloated in my life? Where am I bloated, overweight, or underweight in relationships, for that matter, right? If you have a headache, most people just skip over these things, but maybe the decision you're about to make might actually give you a headache. When you open up to the fact that everything is there to actually inform you and bring you information, and that you're in this constant process of dreaming from your unconscious out into the external world, and that it's all there to make you more unconscious than everything in your life. Like I said, from synchronicities or conflicts or dreams at night or little flirts or body symptoms or fantasies or daydreams, little things that catch your attention, songs that pop into your head, movies that pop into your head, little old memories you have of a kid that you don't even know why you're thinking about that. Yeah. All of that then becomes like this playground. Yeah to find meaning and purpose in life and to work with our unconscious, recognizing that all of this is a part of our own co-dreaming creation that we're co-creating or co-collaborating with and bringing that out like we're the artists of our own experience. And it's actually all there to wake us up. Mm -hmm. And so 
for me, it's engaging with this intelligence that I can go on forever because it gets me really excited. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that that's one of the biggest problems we have is that we don't look around with this unbelievable awe and mm -hmm. say like, we're so obsessed with this technology or we're so obsessed with anything, but we're not thinking about what was the intelligence behind it yeah. that we're spinning through space right now at ridiculously fast speeds mm. with planets that are orbiting each other. At, you know, the, the earth does a 25,900 year cycle through the, through backwards through the 12 signs of the Zodiac. 12, 25,900 years to the second you can predict you can know 20,000 years from now what's going to be the North Star based on exact science because there's nothing, there's no intelligence that we have that we can make that's as, as intelligent as our own body or as the planet that we live in. Yeah. It's inconceivably beautiful and intelligent. And so for me, just finding ways to engage in that is how I step into that unconscious process. Unreal. Um it's i've not thought of it in the way that just popped up from your explanation in that like the unconscious it's 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 in everything and it's always there um ready for us to look for it and listen to it and <laughs> just become a little bit more aware of the fact that it can be everywhere you know like you said with the there was a good explanation with the daydream as much as it is as the night dreaming because you can it's easy probably to explain that your unconscious is 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 um prevalent in your dreams but it's also available and as equally prevalent in your daydreams and it's cool to remember cool to remember that like to realize that that is there at any given point all around us whenever we whenever we choose to wherever and when it, whenever we choose to look for it I mean, there's, there's so many simple examples, which, you know, we, we don't have to do right now, but just for, for, for those listening at home, anytime you get a song that pops into your head that you can't get rid of yeah. and you're like, oh gosh, this thing is so freaking annoying. It just keeps coming. I can't get rid of it. Yeah. Just ask yourself this simple question. What is it about this song that yeah. I need to hear right now? Yeah. What is it about the energy, the lyrics? You know, if I, if I was going to dance or move my body a little bit to it, what is this bringing out to me in this moment? Yeah. You know, if you just think of a challenge or a question you have in your life and you just close your eyes and get a little bit dreamy or a little bit sleepy, and then you open your eyes and just see the first thing that catches your attention in your room. Mm. And then you, you look through the eyes of that object and say, if I was that object looking back at myself, well, how would I see myself and how would I give myself a tip in this moment? Yeah. Or you, have, you think of a question or you think of a challenge and then you go out in nature and you just go for a walk about in nature and you just say, I'm going to go out there until something just catches my attention. And then you go out and you find something on, on a trail and you look at it and you say, okay, what, what is it about this that caught my attention? And how does that help with the answer to my, my, my current challenge? Ooh. Yeah, I love that. I love the one you said about the, the song because I've noticed the last couple of years, pretty much exactly what you said. I'll just start singing a song that I, have, I, I haven't heard because I know I haven't heard because I haven't been listening to it. And as I begin to listen to the lyrics that I'm singing, I'm like, oh, gee, that's pretty relevant <laughs> to yeah. what's on at the moment. It's, it's, it's what, if, what if these things weren't random? Yeah. yeah. What if the whole universe was completely purposeful? Yeah. What yeah. if there was the most 
incredible intelligence that would make your iPhone look like, um, you know, a child's toy behind everything you see. What would it be like to live life like that? What would it be like to engage with life like that with no coincidences that every song, every movie, every person you see in the street, everything is there to offer you something. For me, it's made life way more fun, way more interesting, way more rich and way more meaningful. Um, That's just my own perspective. But what I would open up the listeners to is what if? Yeah. What if that was possible? What would it be like to live like that? How would that change your life? How would that change your day? Versus believing that everything here just came from, you know, uh, a big bang of things just colliding together randomly and producing this most beautiful, amazing planet that we're living on. What if, what if there was more to it than just randomness? Yeah. And that you could participate that in that and that it was actually there to guide you almost waiting for you like like a teenager wanting to flirt with somebody but they're afraid to do it so they they want you to reach out first just waiting for you to make the first move what if that intelligence was waiting for you yeah to send a little note and say hey i'm I'm ready and it's like thank gosh i was just waiting to play with you yeah i was just sitting here waiting you know i'm such you know it's kind of like this It's kind of like, imagine you were this like unbelievable power and then there's like little us. Yeah. Like if they just came in with full force, it would almost like overpower us. It's almost like waiting for somebody out of respect to make the first move. So you're not like too dominant, you know? But like, then once they make that move, you're like, all right, I'm ready, I'm all in. And you know, what What if the intelligence of nature was, was like that, waiting for us? Yeah. Just to play with it and just to talk to it and engage with it. And, you know, they're like, finally, somebody's listening to us. <laughs> it's, it's amazing because you know, the, the realization that I've had recently that like the co-creation realization, realize, realizing that we're, it's not just us and it's not just this, this other thing that we're talking about, that we have the opportunity to create together at any given point, which is, I believe is sort of what, what, what you're saying is, yeah, it creates, it creates a, a space of, of wonder, doesn't it? Like it's where there's, where it feels like, you know, that what if, um, alliterates the fact that like anything is possible, you know, it's, 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 it's infinite in whatever way we're looking at it. Yeah. I agree. Love it. Um, Okay, Jason, we're... Um... That's the beauty. You said the infinite. The beauty is to find the infinite in the finite. Yeah, for sure. Um, just before we wrap up, I was actually going to... I've been meaning to ask, like, because of your, your, um, your experience, I'm interested. Where, where do you see the biggest misconception on people's say belief for lack of a better word because we're talking about belief around wealth <sighs> what is the biggest misconception around wealth well i think the one of the biggest misconceptions about wealth is the importance of net worth versus net impact yeah nice you know if you i think money is more about how it's performing than how it's possessed 
Yeah. It's not so important to me how much money you have in a bank account, but what are you doing with it? Yeah. Are you making the world a better place? Are you producing products and services that empower people that, you know, I'm all about making money, but what are you doing with your money? Yeah. Are you, are, are you doing something that is, is actually making this place more hospitable to live in instead of, you know, filling yeah. the oceans with plastic or whatever, you know? So it's interesting though, from, um, from a, again, from an etymological perspective, I hate to beat this drum, but it's just so fascinating to me that if you look at the word wealth, it comes from actually well-being. Mm. And well, well-being comes from the root word wheel. And wheel comes from the Sanskrit word chakras, or the literal energy centers or wheels in our body. Yeah, okay. So for, for me, first and foremost, wealth comes from being fully embodied. Yep. It's having a body. It's taking care of your body. It's having access to all the different energy centers and having a healthy body and having access to your intuition and your sexual energy and you know having root chakra stability and an open heart and a voice and so forth. It's having the connection to a spiritual connection. That then comes into your ability to not only have your own wheels turning, but then participating in the wheel of life. Like I said, how is it performing? What's your impact? How are you acting reciprocally, you know, in terms of how are you working with the laws of nature? Are you thinking about the next seven generations or are you only thinking about yourself? Because the reality is I start to think about wealth from a multi-life perspective, personally. If I have 100 steaks in my freezer, but there's 99 people outside my door right now and I'm not feeding them, am I truly wealthy long term? I might be in the short term, but what kind of karmic debt am I creating in the future that I'm going to have to pay off? Yeah. Right. So you start to think about these things. If everyone did these, uh, uh, if everyone did this, would the world be a better place? Yeah. You know, how, how am I serving people? How am I nurturing people? Not how much achievement or accomplishment do I have? You know, and all, all of that's really important. And I think that like along the line, we had this idea that wealth and well-being can't go together. Mm. Yeah. This idea of like a Scrooge, Right. You know, like that if you have money, you have to just like devour people and uh, be really unhealthy and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, if you're a spiritual person, well, you know, money is the root of all evil, mm. right? So there's no reason to have money. Yeah. But if you go back and look at all the spiritual traditions, all the great religions, they're all founded on money. I've talked about this quite a bit, but my research shows that, you know, from things I've read that. Jesus was given the equivalent of millions of dollars of frankincense, myrrh, and gold at birth. Buddha was a prince. Arjuna was a prince, all with tons of money. Muhammad was a, a, a successful merchant. Um, Moses was a, was a prince yep. and so forth. So all of these great movements came from money. And I think somewhere down the line, we had this divorce that those things needed to be bifurcated or separate, just like we separated science and religion. And just like we separated basically every different part of a university where the physics department is like three miles away from the psychology department, which is like three th miles away from the medicine department and the athletic department and so forth. And I think about wealth as like bringing all of this back together, yep. bringing back the union between wealth and well-being, you know, net worth, but yeah, net impact. Yeah. Um, having a spiritual purpose and fulfillment and having wealth at the same time and making it, the world a better place. To me, that's true wealth. It's not just one or the other. It's yes and. It's it's multi-phase logic. It's doing it all. Yeah. Beautiful answer. I, I mean, I, I can see 
I fully agree with everything you're saying. It's like there's the separation that maybe has created this belief around money and the Scrooge example that you, you gave. It's um, maybe it's got a lot to do with the people that are not everybody. Of course, I don't know. I don't mean everybody, but a lot of people that we see that have a lot of money don't necessarily feel like they're participating in the wheel of life or they, they are in their way granted. Yeah. In, re in respect to that, but maybe it doesn't feel like it's everything that they could be doing with their money to better serve, you know, humanity or whatever it is. So no, that's, that's it. Well, here, here's the last little, little piece of magic. I think, you know, earlier you're talking about this idea of having this abundance on the inside and then sort of attracting it, right. Having it more or finding it in yourself, but also then kind of attracting more to, to you. Yeah. The interesting thing about this is that nature is naturally abundant. Yes. You know, when we had these lockdowns and nobody went out for a period of time, nature totally recreated herself, right? Mm -hmm. Healed herself. We, we were getting reports of dolphins and wolves and rivers and pollution levels that ha had not been seen in, in probably decades, possibly in certain areas. Yeah. And like the whole world was sort of like having this natural healing. So nature is naturally abundant. You know, we get in the way and we screw it up. But like, if you just look outside, like, you know, I'm just, I live, I live in the woods and we just have like berries after berries after berries, just like coming out of nowhere. Like, we, you know, it's just like providing and providing. Yeah. Um, so for me, the, the, the concept is that like, when we actually can learn to be like, to be reciprocal mm. and to act in accordance with the laws of nature, yep. we actually become naturally abundant Yeah, because nature herself is naturally abundant. Yeah. Yep. And, and I think that's sort of the, the bring it all, bring it all home. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I appreciate <laughs> That's great, man. That's yeah. It's, it's, it's really beautiful because it's, I mean, you can't, you can't, argue, you can't argue with the fact that nature is abundant. So that there's, I, I don't really see how there's any argument there. Um, and then, well, you know, there's, there's, there, there's tons of people that are suffering in this world. There's billions of people that don't have access to basic survival needs, but you know, it's, it's not a function of, of nature's lack that is doing that. It's just the way we've distributed the resources is the problem. Yeah, for sure. No great clarification to, um, Ah, awesome, man. Um, all right. Well, I know we're going to wrap it up. So uh, last question, Jason, is what does the present moment mean to you? Mm. That's really interesting. You know, I'll just say, I'll try to make it short and sweet because sure. I have my family waiting for me. Yeah. Um, we talk a lot of in, in kind of the spiritual world about be here now. Yeah. Right. That's, that's sort of like the motto for the, the present moment. Be here now, be here now. Yeah. Be here. For me, what it's turned into meaning is be you now. Nice. How do I be myself in this moment? Yeah. How do I be me now? Who am I now? Yeah. Who am I now? Mm. You know, who is my partner now? And not getting stuck in any one of those beliefs yeah. about she has to be the person who she was even 10 minutes ago. Yeah. That I could be a different person, that I could be open, and that I want to be me and express myself. Yep. 
to the most I can in every moment. And that's, that's, that's a short answer on that. Hell yeah, man. Love it. Thank you. <laughs> that's a good one. Change one word and it changes the perspective on it a little bit too, doesn't it? So it's, yeah, it's great. It's, no, it's really beautiful. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. I, I um, yeah, having begun to follow you in the last 12 months and, and looking at what you're doing now, it's, it's, it's the work you're doing is, I feel it's invaluable. I look forward to exploring it further because, um, yeah, you only need to listen to you and see what you're doing to realize you, you, you're one of the, one of the people that walk the talk, which is great, Jason. So thank you for everything you do. Um, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. You know, I just had a, such a beautiful conversation with you and a, a thank you to all the listeners and thank you for inviting me. It was just so much fun. No worries at all, mate. Um, yeah. Maybe yet another time. But before we leave, where can people find you, please? Jason. Yeah, real, really easy. You know, if you want to learn more about my course, just go to my website, jasonpickard.org, J-A-S-O-N-P-I-C-K-A-R-D.org. And there you can learn more about my course, The Abundance Archetype. And, you know, what people really enjoy is you get to book, uh, if you like, if it resonates with you, a 30-minute discovery call with me where you get to jump on a call with me for 30 minutes for free and just, um, you know, talk about your life and see if this is a good opportunity for you. So that's the best way to connect with me. And I'd love to connect with you there. Um, You could also find me on Instagram at Jason Picard official, where I try to put out as much information as I can that supports people in creating more abundance. And and I'd love to chat with you in any of those forums. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. I'm poor people to look at that and, the content that I've noticed you've been putting out is, is awesome. I'm getting a lot out of it. So thank you for that. Thank you. Well. Thank you so much. <laughs> Appreciate that. All right. Thanks, brother. All right, buddy. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe wherever your ears choose to listen and leave a review if this podcast has helped broaden that horizon. I'd love to hear from you and what you got out of this episode. Stay weird, be yourself, and above all, remember to step over the ants.